This podcast is brought to you by OnTrack Studio. You're listening to Boring is Bad for Business. As a brand studio, we've seen too many brands play it safe and it's causing them to get lost in a sea of sameness. With this show, we want to encourage business leaders to embrace what makes them different and translate that into bold brands that delight and spark emotional connections. I'm Suji. And I'm Joel. Hope you enjoy the episode. Now let's get into it. We begin today by acknowledging the Gubby Gubby people as the traditional owners of the country we are recording in today. We recognise their continued connection to the land, waters and acknowledge they never ceded sovereignty. We pay our respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to all First Nations people listening today. Really looking forward to today's episode. You know, this is quite more your realm. You know, it comes within the, the, the strategy banner, I guess you could say. But yeah, I think it definitely has a, has a place of, you know, how you price your products, how you price your service. And how that affects the the overall customer experience and, and and therefore the brand. So, yeah, super excited to jump into it. Absolutely nailed it, and I think that that's something. Was that the episode? We that was just, the we've cut. We're, we're done. Cool. <laughs> that's the entire point I want to make. It's something that I've noticed that people don't actually do is take into consideration the level that they're setting their price and then what impact that actually has on their brand. So, first of all, why does price matter? Obviously, it has everything to do with your revenue. Uh, the higher your price, the higher your revenue, but of course your expenses are in there. So then it also has everything to do with your profit and how profitable you are. And we know that those two factors drive your business growth, but it also sends a message to the market. So whether you're priced high, you're priced low, or you're somewhere in between those two things, customers are going to have a different perception on the type of service you offer and how good that quality is. But also it does have an impact on how much they're probably willing to pay for your service or for your product. So this plays a big part within your positioning? Absolutely. So I've got an example here to demonstrate that. And I've gone out here, the block is launched, so let's talk home decor, home, home brands. Freedom and Ikea. I personally would assume to pay more for a couch at Freedom than Ikea. Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Like we, I don't spend much time in, in, in Freedom, but yeah, I guess sort of with, with Ikea, you, you're sort of expecting to, to put it together yourself. Yes, definitely. So what I found out when researching for this uh, this episode is that Freedom went through a rebrand in 2021. So their strategy was all about becoming a lighthouse brand. So a lighthouse brand is a brand that's got, it's rooted and founded in quality. And they wanted to shift this perception that Freedom was kind of like your mum's, like where your mum would go to shop yeah. at and changing it to be your best friend in attainable objects for desire. Okay. So again, that says to me, things quality, um, it's going to be on trend, a little bit younger and changing the perception around their brand. And then obviously that expectation of it's going to cost me more money as well. Exactly. So with that brand strategy, that business strategy, they definitely can't have a penetration pricing, like a discount pricing model because that conflicts with what they're trying to do on the brand level and through their marketing. And then obviously once we get that, you know, that, that issue of someone coming in going, I'm expecting to spend this, but you're asking for this, it builds a you know, general frustration for that customer and ultimately hurts the the reputation of the brand. Definitely. So if they were priced too high, like, so they're not aiming at that luxury, say, Coco Republic level. Yep. And if they had priced their, they have priced their products at that Coco Republic level, someone walking in store would be like, well, everything you're putting out in market, it doesn't align to what you're expecting me to pay. I'm not going to do that. Conversely, if they had really cheap prices, all of that beautiful work they're doing in the brand level, would be detracted and people will probably start to lower their expectations of the brand, but then also lower what they're happy to pay for at Freedom over time. And then I guess from a brand and, and a Freedom standpoint, it's like, you know, they're 
they've made a conscious decision of like, hey, this is the area we want to play in. Let's own this. Let's not worry about you know the guys that are looking at spending ten grand on a, on a couch, or you know that guy that's looking to spend a hundred dollars on a couch. Like, let's find that middle spot. Let's own it and really you know be the brand that's the go to for attainable for, objects of beauty. I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. In contrast, so IKEA, a completely different strategy. As we all know, IKEA. It's a place you go, we still shop there, but it's also the place that I went when I was a uni student because mm-hmm. I could afford it. But it looked good and it was also made fairly well. So IKEA's strategy is essentially to offer the homeowner or the renter really well-designed products, but at an affordable price. So it makes self-expression in that way far more accessible to a lot more people. So if you want to build on that brand perception, IKEA need to make sure that their prices are accessible. They can't be pricing at that sort of higher end of the market and of course if their prices are lower that means to be profitable they have to sell far more products like a lot more volume than say a freedom so then you can really see how that links back to their overall business strategy and their entire supply chain it's like well we know we have to sell a lot a big volume of product how can we reduce our overheads how can we make that as efficient as possible so enter flat packs and instructions with no words on them yeah pick it up at the warehouse mate and figure it out but yeah i hope this you know me saying this doesn't get us a, a letter from from IKEA, but you know when you when you buy an IKEA product and you put it together, I guess you're kind of expecting, you know, things maybe not to line up a little bit and it not to be perfect, but you know, you haven't paid the price for it to be perfect, and you expect that, and and you you're ultimately generally cool with it. You know, if that was something that you bought at IKEA and you got it home and you're like, this actually doesn't line up, you're gonna call, you're gonna you're gonna make a comment. And you're probably not going to be satisfied with that overall experience. Definitely. And you probably won't come back. So I think that those, that demonstration of the two brands really shows that price does have a direct link and connection to your brand strategy and why you should probably avoid just going with that age-old cost plus model where it's mm-hmm. like, how much does it cost me to deliver my service or my product? Put my mark up on there and just set and forget your pricing strategy. I really think that pricing strategy needs to be considered once you develop your brand strategy understand who your customer is, understand what that position, as you said at the start of the episode, where you want to occupy in the market is, and then go, okay, well, what price really makes sense to hit, you know, serving our customer, what can they afford, and what price makes sense for the position and the story that we want to be telling in market. So with pricing, there's also an economic component to all of this. So rewind back to, I believe it was in high school economics. So don't get too scared by this. I'm terrified. (laughs) It's not, it's not too bad. It's It's all about price elasticity. Of demand. So basically, this concept underpins all of your pricing strategies. So what we need to understand is that price elasticity of, de- of demand determines how much an increase in your prices is going to affect the demand for your product. So if you put your prices up, are customers going to turn away and say, well, that's just too much for me. I'm going to either not buy your product or I'll go to a suitable kind of competitor in the marketplace. So there are two types of elasticity. So you're either inelastic in generally as a product or you might be elastic. So if you're an inelastic product, brand or a category, you can raise your prices and people aren't necessarily going to turn away. There are a few factors that will influence this, which I'll get to. But if you have an elastic product or an elastic brand, if you raise your prices, what it means is that people are often going to go, I I just can't outside of the realms of what I can afford. Mm -hmm. So what impacts the elasticity of demand? There are three factors. The first one you can't change. Some products are simply essential products like fuel. 
We know that fuel has gone through the roof in the last 12 months. And I don't know about you, but I'm still buying petrol. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long walk from um, Alex to Calandra. Exactly. It's unavoidable. You yeah. have to buy petrol. So if your, your product falls into one of those essential categories, you'll probably find that you're going to be able to raise prices and people will still keep buying. They might not be happy about it, but they'll keep buying. Uh, there are essentially no substitutes. And the other thing is you can't really influence whether you're in this category or you're not. So outside of petrol, you know, that was, a, I guess, a bit of a gimme and especially considering that, you know, it's a product and, it, and it's quite broad. Is there another example that fits within that, that space that might not be as broad as, as petrol? I think so, insurance. Okay. So you could argue some insurance is optional, but for the most part, people are going to say that's pretty essential for my survival, especially if you start talking about things like life insurance. And I do understand that this is like comes with a level of privilege. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there's, you know, insurance companies know this, that certain demographic socioeconomic groups of people will continue to pay premiums that have price increases because they just see that having this insurance offers peace of mind and it's essential to their survival. I think that also there are other probably professional services and utilities that come under this, professional services that I'm thinking of. If you are um, sort of, well, even doctors, like you can't really get around the fact that you need to spend money on your GP. Oh, absolutely. But also lawyers. I'm trying to make this as inclusive as possible in terms of different levels of income. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so there's definitely your go-tos, your, your toilet papers of things, but there's other services in there that this could apply to. Okay, great. So the other fact two factors that impact or influence how elastic your product or your brand might be, this is where it gets interesting in terms of brand. So the second is competitors or the availability of substitutes. So if you are in a marketplace and you haven't differentiated yourself a lot and there are a lot of other options out there on the market, so I'm thinking hairdressers and say you're just a run-of-the-mill hairdresser that hasn't invested in brand or differentiation or niching down, if you raise your prices to a certain point, people will say, well, why should I go to you and pay this, you know, something that's 10, 20% above the average market rate? I'm just going to go to the hairdresser that's three doors down. Yeah, so I guess you start to get into a a game of, you know, it's all about the price. It's all about the exchanging of funds for a service or or a product. There's no real experience. There's no real brand built into into that. There's no differentiation. Yeah, exactly. So... Highly con- thing to remember, highly competitive marketplaces mean that products are going to be, oh, the elasticity of those products is going to be quite elastic. People are going to walk away if the prices get too high. So how do you mitigate that? You differentiate yourself. Uh, you pull out that brand story, which is what I lead to the next point. Mm-hmm. And you make yourself basically one of a kind that it then is worthwhile that like, well, actually... I'm happy to pay more because there is only one of that type of hairdresser that specializes in, you see this in like blondes or specializes in hair extensions. I can't get that level of quality of service or experience anywhere else. So I'm happy to part with a little bit more of my money. Yeah, for sure. And I, I guess it turns it into a, a bit of a no brainer, really. It's like, you know, I, I want to go blonde, which we've all been there and done that. Yes. You know, we'll just go there. Exactly. The third factor, and again, this is another one that you can influence and it's so closely related to that competition, is brand awareness and reputation. So pretty much explaining what you just said, if somebody's loyal brand loyalty is very strong, then their like ability to be influenced by a price rise is going to be much less. Apple. Like oh, I think God, yeah. yeah, like can you imagine how much I can't even I am scared to think what the iPhone was originally cost. I think it's doubled 
if not even a little bit more when, than when we first started buying it. And I'm still not deterred by that price. It's just something that I've come to accept because I know how convenient it is to have the Apple products. Well, yeah, everything's on, on the cloud now. And it, you know, if I jumped across to a Samsung, I honestly think it would take me months just to, to figure out how, how, the, how the fuck that works. Exactly. And we're not even like the, you know, the advocates for Apple. It's more that we're just kind of stuck in this loop where it's, it's really convenient. We're not the brand evangelicals. Mm. You know, we always use Apple as a brand example, but that's often very unattainable for somebody to apply to their business. I think what you really need to take away from this is build that loyalty within your customer base and build that brand reputation and don't forget about doing those branding activities, even if you are a small business, because if you can build up that connection with your customer, then you're going to be more resilient. You're going to be able to raise your prices without without them wanting, saying, it's just, I can't afford, it's not right for me. And I guess it, it moves away from just the, you know, what, what I mentioned earlier of I'm giving you money just for a service or, or simply a product. It's like I'm buying into more than just that that transaction. I'm Definitely. buying into whether it's an image of you, yourself and the reputation you have of yourself without it, within society. But yeah, it's, you know, buying into that as a brand and, and, and building that as a, as a staple part of, of who you are. Definitely. And I had another example just to make it more relatable was I beer. Think, I think everyone can relate to, to that. <laughs> well, to be honest, not you not you and I at the no. moment. Somebody who's seven months pregnant and somebody who's not drinking is yep. probably the most least relatable thing. But oh, I, th- I think about it. <laughs> we've been there. <laughs> we know beer. Yeah. Uh, so this morning when I looked up what does a carton of 4X cost, Dan Murphy's is selling that for... $48 for 30 cans. Yep. Great. Uh, then I went, okay, well, what's a more exclusive craft beer? Uh, Bolter XPA. So they charge $58 for 16 cans. So that's a little, slight one can more than half. So Bolter, thanks to its brand and its positioning, it's a craft beer. It has the perception that it was a small run, so maybe we have to charge a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think that's changed now that they've had their buyer, but I, their pricing strategy hasn't changed. Uh, they can charge almost double what 4X does per carton. So you can really see here how the brand experience can change your ability to charge more and create more revenue. Yeah, and it's funny, even seeing some of these you know, more craft breweries come out with easy ales and, and, and you know, basic lagers where you, know, you, you compare it to a, to a gold. And you're like, mate, I probably, you know, if, I did a, if I did a Pepsi or a Coke challenge. Like you know, a blind test. Yeah, you probably yeah. couldn't tell too much of the difference. But because it's got that reputation, again, like back to what I was saying, it's like you're tying your personality, your representation, your idea of who you are as an individual in with that brand. You know, you're happy to, to part with more money. Yeah, definitely. What can we take away from this episode? So there are four things that I want to leave with you, leave you with when it comes to pricing and your brand. Number one, the price of your product or your service, it sends a message to the market about the perceived value of your product, your service, your brand. It also tells people how much they should expect to pay for your product or your service. I think as well, like just jumping into that very quickly is within a service-based business, because we do see it and I've, I've gone through the process of you know, being a freelancer and charging a minimal rate and now we're, we're sort of moving into to bigger ticketed projects. But dealing generally with, with someone with a, with a lower budget, you're asking them to invest a, generally a small amount. Their expectations and the way that they position you as an expert is generally lower. You know, they, they see it as we're not parting with that much cash. You know, we're, we're coming in, we're going to have a fair bit of say. Well, we're now where we're seeing that we're charging, you know, bigger budgets People are kind of happy to go like, hey, like you guys obviously know what you, 
know what you're mm. doing, you know, we're happy just to step away and let you do your thing. And, and I think that really does come into, you know, there's a lot of X factors, but a big part of that is, is the pricing of, of the product. And yeah, that's really back to, to pricing strategy. Definitely. It puts, it puts us as an authority as it does with other service providers. And I think you need to be able to back that up with the delivery of the product or the service. It can't a- be the service. Uh, but definitely it, it Pricing has such an impact on your reputation and the way that you're understood by the market. So the second takeaway from this is that pricing strategy is a part of your brand strategy. Don't exclusively rely on pricing strategies like the cost plus method and set and forget because you're not really t- you're not considering how your pricing strategy is understood by your customers and then how that impacts your brand strategy. So the resource that's linked to this show notes is really great. It goes into the different types of pricing strategies that are available and then also how you can choose one. So if you're kind of you're curious about different pricing strategies, what might be best for you, go and download that resource. So the third takeaway from this episode is that there are elastic products and services, those where the demand is significantly affected by price increases. And there are inelastic products and services where peop- those brands can raise their prices and customers will still be willing to keep up the same level of demand and buy those products and services. So saying that, like there's obviously elastic products and services. Is there any examples that, that you know at the top of your head of it's a product and service that everyone needs, but we've now plugged in this, this brand story on top of it that is ultimately now allowing them to ask for more money and turning it more into, you know, it, it's not just a, a trade of cash for service. Yeah, so you're asking, are there products that are traditionally elastic? So they'd be, they can't raise their prices very much because people will walk away. But by adding a brand story to them, yes, yeah, doing investing in brand and differentiating, they're able then to sustain those price increases and keep demand up. Yes, I think that tampons, funnily enough, came to mind for okay. me. I think before we saw go ten years ago, um, I don't know if you know much about tampons. No, but I don't research much. 10 years ago, you probably had um, you by Cotex and I'm trying to think Libra like was like the main players on the market. And I'm pretty sure that when you, you have a, a marketplace where there's um, not a lot of competition or and then you probably had your home brand products as okay. well. I think at some point if – this is totally anecdotal, but I think at some point when Libra and things, they could probably only get their prices up to a certain point before it's like, well, what the hell is the difference between a Libra tampon and the home brand tampon? Mm-hmm. Not a lot. Then we had, I'm going to say roughly 10 years ago, brands like Tom's Organic came into the market and they had this whole story and also Moxie tampons as well. They were packaged in a tin instead of having them in a cardboard box. You all of a sudden had tampon brands innovating the category and saying, well, here's another reason and we've invested in brand, whether it's from an ethical and sustainable lens or from just like augmenting the product itself, Mm -hmm. that we can raise the prices and people are going to start paying more for them, unlike the other players, the existing players who hadn't innovated. So brands coming in, disrupting that that category. Like you saw it with Dollar Shave Club, you know, came in and it was just Gillette. Like I think Gillette owned everything. And then yeah, Dollar Shave came in, plugged in this this brand story on the on the top. Obviously the the service and the convenience of it. Yeah. And now sort of starting to own an area of razors and, and, and shavers that, you know, never really existed before. I love that example because I think what this episode might have inferred is that by differentiating and investing in brands, you can raise your prices. But raising your prices isn't actually the secret to always growing your business. What you need to be doing is growing your profits. 
So I love the Dollar Shave Club example because what it shows is you can use a pricing strategy with your brand strategy to have lower prices but still increase your profits because Dollar Shave Club was a Dollar Shave Club. The whole idea was that we strip everything out of it. Mm -hmm. We sell higher volumes of this product but we make more money because we've stripped all every you know all of the we've taken everything out that we don't need. Yeah. It's just the essentials. So pricing strategy can work that way as well. And just on on top of that like that that expectation from a consumer of like you know I've got a subscription with Dollar Shave Club, I know that the blades aren't as good as Gillette, but I'm happy to make that that trade because of pricing convenience over a very close shave as you can tell by my face. And it probably says a little bit about you as well and that's why price brand they're all connected like Dollar Shave Club, a big part of their story was the humor. Mm-hmm. It was funny. Like, and I'm assuming you're a funny person. You like humor. I have my moments, yeah. Yeah. So that probably connected with you as well. And it's like, well, I feel more connected to the Dollar Shave Club experience than I do the mass produced handsome man in a shower yeah. with a 10 pack. I was trying to explain shave. Dollar Shave Club to dad and he's like a Gillette man. And it was like, I'm like, yeah, the blades aren't as good, but these are the other benefits. And he's like, well, if the blades aren't good, I'm not interested. And it's like, okay, like that that's fine. But yeah, again, it's back to finding your position, finding out who your audience is and, and, and going after that. And it's not appealing to the masses. Exactly. So the final takeaway from this episode is that you can't change if your product is essential or luxury to an extent, uh, but you can use brand and differentiation to your advantage with your pricing strategies. And those highly differentiated brands and brands with strong loyalty are going to find the least resistance to prices but also probably the most creativity with their pricing strategy, as you've just explained with Dollar Shave Club. So that's the end of this episode. I hope that you have learned something about pricing, how it relates to brand. Uh, It's a very tactical episode. There's a lot in here. Take the time to go back and listen to it again. Um, And what I'd really be encouraging you to consider is how have you really aligned your pricing strategy with your brand strategy? And yeah, this episode has been you know, very valuable to me and hopefully very valuable to to, um, the listeners. And that was no pun intended. Oh, I got it. Sorry. Got it. Yeah, it took me a while. (laughs) We'll talk to you soon.